Welcome to the Remarketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I am your host for today. The Remarketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, real estate investors, and real estate entrepreneurs. The Remarketing Podcast has two purposes. Purpose number one, Corey, to spotlight you, your business, your service, or product in a way that provides value to you, including market exposure and content creation. Purpose number two, to educate and inform our audience and listeners. With that, we have Corey Dehars. Am I saying that correctly, Corey? Dehars, yep. You got Dehars. it. Corey Dehars. Since 2016, Corey has impacted hundreds of clients by providing diligent and thorough assistance with investment transactions ranging from small, hard money lending to multi-million dollar real estate syndications. After moving to West North Carolina in 2020 and transitioning to roles to join Advanta IRA's business development team, he has been able to leverage everything learned from personal experiences, networking, and continuing education to help capital raisers and investors confidently market and invest using self-directed IRA or 401k accounts. Corey, I'm excited that you're here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Jerome, for having me. I, I've been seeing you participate in some of our networking events for a while, and I've seen you on some other ones I've been participating in since I took this journey and started this role uh, back in 2020. So it's glad to uh, kind of get on the same page with each other on this. I, I appreciate you for having me. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited that you're here because I get to learn a little bit more. Like we, we get so busy as entrepreneurs, but I get to learn a little bit more about about IRAs. And um, with that, I want you to, in your own words, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. So I am... Um, a comedy enthusiast. I am a financial literacy advocate. I'm someone that put myself through college and always had a goal of, of putting myself into the next best financial position and moving up and moving up. So uh, it naturally fits that I work in a role where I serve to educate people on financial literacy and how to better set themselves up for their retirement uh, and take that really into their own hands. I mean, we're probably pretty close in age. Uh, and I personally just uh, take a lot of pride in having a lot of my own retirement goals and my own retirement investments set, because I'm not too necessarily sure that Social Security is just going to be a check that's waiting for me when I get to the age that it should be. So uh, taking those matters into my own hands and helping people learn that they can do so and learn different tools that are readily available to use with your retirement account, uh, people just don't know about it. So I, I really appreciate doing that. Uh, I'm a father. I've got a 10-month-old at home, and uh, uh, I like the outdoors. That's pretty much me in, in kind of a nutshell. Awesome. Thank you. So I'm going to try to, I like to try to break down th things down as easy as possible. And you work with Avana, which is an IRA company. I want to take it very, to the very beginning of things. Like uh, I don't understand anything. And I want you to tell us like in your words, like what is an IRA? What does that stand for? And how does that work? Okay. Yeah. So an IRA is an individual retirement arrangement. Uh, it's a tax sheltered account that anyone in the U.S. can have. Uh, you can only contribute into it with money you have paid earned income tax on. So earned income money, you could either do a tax deferred contribution or a post-tax contribution, also known as a Roth contribution. But it's a way for you to put money aside that you draw from later in life. Uh, you can have it with a large wirehouse custodian like Edward Jones, T. Rowe Price, Merrill Lynch, those companies that are your fiduciary and actually invested on your behalf. Uh, or you could have it with a self-direct administrator like Advanta, 
where we simply follow the IRS's rules and regulations and allow our clients to invest into whatever assets they'd like to, as long as it falls within those IRS compliances, which we're experts in. I have what's known as a CISP designation, Certified IRA Service Professional, that I obtained back in 2018. And that's part of the continuing education reference in my bio that I do to keep that certification up to date and myself on the cutting edge of what's going on in the IRS realm of uh, retirement account regulations. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I have a list of questions. We have the typical questions that we have. And then sometimes when we get like a special guest like you, somebody that's in a niche subject, I like to have a, some questions on the side. With that, I have a question. I have some questions. What do you think is the most important, what do you think is most important to look for in a self-directed IRA? First, did we talk about that? Like, what does that mean? Like self-directed and just regular IRA? Is there a difference between the two? And then you can answer that question. Sure. Yeah. So that's the differentiation between a financial advisor or a fiduciary like your Merrill Lynch or T. Rowe Price or Edward Jones, uh, E-Trade, those types of companies that you're putting your money in and then they're investing it on your behalf whether right now it's kind of a tumultuous stock market, so you may be earning well, you may not be earning, you may be losing, uh, that's a managed account. A self-directed IRA is an account where you're not having your money placed anywhere on your behalf. You're actually the one that has to go out and find the deals you want to invest into. You conduct all of your own due diligence, and you have a custodian or administrator like Advanta that simply makes sure that paperwork is executed properly, that there's no tax consequence back to you personally, and it's all tied through your retirement account, which is that tax shelter that you have the money in there in the first place for. Uh, and then we simply administer those accounts and do the appropriate reporting and documenting to the IRS. Uh, and really what a good thing to look for in a company uh, that is a self-directed administrator is uh, the cost. Obviously, there is a pretty wide range of how much companies charge for these types of services. Um, the educational component. So it is a very niche industry. Only about 4% of retirement accounts in this country are self-directed. Uh, to put that into perspective, there's about $37 trillion in retirement accounts in this country. So of 37 to 39 trillion over the past few quarters that that's been documented, only about 1.5 trillion of that is in self-directed accounts. So it's a very niche. That's about 4%. Uh, portion of the retirement industry. So we do a lot of education, a lot of free education. We never charge for our education. Uh, and we put out webinars on YouTube. We have a podcast such as uh, this one where we interview people that are experts in investment strategies and different topics. Uh, so make sure you're finding someone that's able to help you in your investment journey. And then the customer service in itself. Are, are you calling a call center where you don't know who's going to pick up that call and who's going to help you? And if you're going to have to explain your scenario and your transaction, you're trying to get done to 10 different people, or you're going to have one dedicated person that's your point of contact uh, that actually works with you one-to-one, -one, gets to know who you are, gets to know how you like your transactions done. Uh, that's our model is we focus highly on our education in our customer service where we pair each client with an account manager that works with them one-to-one. -one. I actually served in that role for five years as well before switching over to this education and network-based role when I moved. Uh, but I did spend five years being someone's point of contact. I had about a thousand clients on my roster. So I just take calls, answer questions, process transactions, uh, and help people get their investments funded. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate that. One of the things you talked about is like the education. And uh, I, I was glad when uh, not 
I was glad of the results of COVID and how it allow us to go out and network virtually. And one of the things that I discovered was your event. Like every, uh, you do an event every Friday, but the one that I really appreciate is the one where you go out and you network at the Pitch, Promote, and Prosper uh, event. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So Pitch, Promote, and Prosper is every other Friday. Uh, it's a virtual networking exchange we host via Zoom from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we did host it last week, so the next one is September 9th. Uh, don't know when this podcast is going to be posted, but it's every other Friday. You can find it on Advanta's website under the Events tab. It's called Pitch Promote Prosper, and really, like you described, everyone gets a chance to sign in, say who they are, what they're looking for as an investment, or uh, what they have to offer as an investment, and from there, exchange contact information and network with each other. Sometimes the topic gets a little bit more in depth, where people ask questions about specific investments they've heard, or or a topic that's you know a hot button issue in the investing world. But it's really a collaborative environment to really try to help everyone grow. Uh, as a self-directed administrator, we cannot uh, endorse or promote any specific products or offerings. So really, this event that you're describing is the closest thing we can do to either put investment providers in front of our network and our client base or vice versa, have our client base be able to see some of the investment opportunities that are out there. But again, they do have to do their own due diligence and, and make those connections themselves offline uh, to finally decide if they're going to invest with that person or if the investment's worthwhile and so forth. Thank you, Corey. And something you mentioned a little bit earlier, you mentioned the 4%. You mentioned only about 4% of retirement accounts are self-directed. In your perspective and your professional opinion, why don't more people invest using self-directed retirement accounts? It's just all about the education, to be truthful. It's something that I did not know about even being a I would call myself relatively financially literate individual uh, until I started and, and took the job with Advanta IRA. I had always worked in banks and financial institutions, even putting myself through college. Uh, but self-directed retirement investing was something I never heard of until I you know, took a, a job opportunity with this company. It's something that not a lot of the larger custodians that have a lot of people's retirement accounts and money even want you to know about because they'd prefer that you keep your money with them in their fiduciary rights and responsibilities, as opposed to pulling that money into real estate investing if you choose to uh, be a home flipper or invest as a limited partner into syndication deals. Uh, they don't earn any more money if they're not advising. So their interest is keeping you in the stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that they advise upon. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, the next question I have, like if someone wanted to start an IRA account self-directed, what's the timeline or turnaround for an investor to get set up and fund an investment transaction with your company? Yeah, it's actually pretty quick. A lot of people think it's going to take, you know, a month or even longer. It really, it takes about 15 minutes to complete our application. Uh, from there, we'll just review it, make sure it's accurate, make sure we have a photo ID, get the account open uh, within the next business day. And once we have an account open, the IRS has a seven day right of rescission period before an investment can be funded. So we have those typical first seven days. If you've already got your investment lined up to start the paperwork while we're waiting for the IRS to allow you to fund your investment and also to get your money into the Advanta account. So there are two common ways that people fund their accounts, either a custodian to custodian transfer, which is a non-taxable, non-reported event. We just submit a form to wherever your money's currently at. We follow up within a few days, make sure they've received it, make sure they have it in processing. And we typically see those funds come in within three to five days. 
The other way is a indirect or a direct rollover. So with that type of movement, it's going from a type of account that you're not moving into the same type of account. Let's just say a 401k into an IRA. So in that case, you have to initiate a distribution out of that plan, your 401k plan, TSP, 403b, 457, whatever it is. And you initiate the distribution out of it, have the funds payable to your new Advanta account, and then have them sent either directly to Advanta, which would be a direct rollover, or to yourself first, which is indirect or 60-day rollover, they often call it. And then you have 60 days from constructive receipt, meaning that check in your mailbox, to forward it into your Advanta account. Otherwise, there will be a taxable liability for that money. But as long as you do get the money put into a qualified plan within 60 days, there's no taxable event that takes place. There is some reporting and documentation, which your previous plan administrator will cover when you distribute the money out, and we'll cover when we roll the money in but there's no taxable consequence to you personally for moving your money out of wherever it was into the self-direct account. With that strategy, it takes a little bit longer, but still on average, 10 to 14 days is about conservative. So we see someone start an account, get it opened and get it funded and make an investment typically within 10 to 14 days. Oh, that's, that's really fast. I thought it would take much longer. Like you said, the education is not there. So we need that education. With that, could you tell me, it's, it's the question I have here, how do these vehicles differ from an investor using savings to place as an investment? So it's the tax shelter is the big difference. The, the tax shelter, whether you're in a traditional account, meaning that's tax deferred money, or a Roth account, meaning it's completely tax free money. Let's just talk about a real estate transaction, for example. If you buy a piece of property in your traditional IRA at $100,000 and then you sell it in three years for $160,000, A, you do not have to pay capital gains tax on that because the investment was made within your tax-sheltered retirement account. And B, you only pay taxes on that $160,000 or whatever your account is when you distribute that money later on in life. It'll add to your ordinary earned income at that point in time. So if you're considering to be in a higher tax bracket later, or just in general, if you're younger and looking to have this grow faster, uh, there's a ability for you to pay the taxes on that money now and switch it to a Roth account, which is another strategy I described, the Roth IRA. And with a Roth IRA, you never pay taxes on that money because you've already paid taxes on it. So let's just consider making a new contribution for this calendar year. If you're under age 50, you can contribute up to $6,000 into an IRA. You can either take a tax deferral, tax deference, and uh, basically get a write-off for $6,000, put that into your account, let it grow, and pay taxes on whatever it grows into when you need it later in life. Or you can avoid the tax write-off now, pay taxes on that $6,000, but then let it grow so that in... 10, 15 years when it's 30,000, you don't pay taxes on a dime of that because you've paid taxes at the point you put it in the account being a Roth IRA. So those goals and those strategies from a tax perspective is what differentiates using your savings account or going out and getting a mortgage for your investment property and so forth. Uh, they're just kind of a different tool that you can use. And again, it's all part of your own personal tax strategy. So speak with your CPA, your tax preparer before you just, you know, take what I said and go try to make a Roth IRA investment. Awesome. Thank you. The next question we have for you, tell us a common myth within your field of expertise. Tell us a myth about uh, retirement accounts or even self-directed retirement accounts. 
Yeah, there's one that I've been dealing with a lot this week specifically uh, that, that just comes to mind immediately is that for real estate investors, I get, I've gotten this call four or five times this week. I want to use my IRA account as a down payment on this investment property. So that topic or that thought comes up a lot. People think, oh, I can just kind of use this for the earnest money or use this as a down payment. And really that's not the case. If you're using your retirement account in any real estate transaction, whatever dollar amount it goes into that transaction for has to be commensurate with the ownership percentage it's getting in the property. So on the deed of title, if your retirement account puts up $20,000 towards a $100,000 property, it better say your retirement account as to 20% ownership. Now, there are different ways that you can structure a real estate transaction, but having it kind of front you as a deposit or as a loan, if you will, is not one of the ways, and that would be considered a myth to me. Thank you. The next question, tell us the biggest challenge you're currently facing and how you're tackling it within this realm. Just education and networking uh, is probably my biggest challenge. I, I moved to an area in the middle of COVID. Uh, so at the first, I want to say eight, nine months that I was living in my new town, I was not able to go out in person to restaurants to, to meet in person. So I did a lot of the virtual networking that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we bumped elbows pretty early on in, in that phase. Uh, I was finding groups on meetup in you know different states, different areas, different regions. Uh, also local ones. So switching and, and networking in person now is actually a, a challenge because I'm spending less time going to those online groups because I'm now having the ability to go meet people in person and, and find different groups anywhere within about a two hour drive for me. If I find a group of investors or, or specifically real estate investors, I go try to meet with them and shake hands and, and network and just be a personable human being. Uh, that's there to help whoever I can. So I, I still have those other groups that I can log into and, and always see those friendly faces online. But I do enjoy the capacity of, of you know, shaking a hand and, and meeting with someone in person and and uh, having that one-to-one -one interaction in a, in a physical space as well. Thank you. And in, in your opinion, tell us the most important personality trait or strength someone needs to work in this industry, self-directed retirement. I would say it's kind of a mix between confidence and also just personability. Um, you're dealing with, in most cases, people that don't know a lot about what you're doing. So uh, people might know about how they want to invest or they might know about how they've made their money that they have to invest but they don't know about the rules and regulations about investing in most cases. So having confidence in what I know and that I am you know, a, a, an expert and a leader in my industry in that right. And then also having the person ability to deal with uh, sometimes ornery people that, that may be frustrated, they may be, you know, just kind of at their wits end with this or that. And they sometimes tend to take it out on, you know, their, their service representative or individual. Um, and that happens in any capacity. It's not necessarily just in the finance industry. Although I have seen it a lot in the finance industry, both 
working at banks and financial institutions and, and through Advanta, uh, just some people have a, a level of entitlement in cases where they're just, you know, genuinely rude and, and just to keep a smile and to know, you know, whatever that person's got going on in their life that's making them have a bad day, it doesn't need to affect me and it doesn't need to be something I give back to them either. I, I can continue to to have my smile and, and give my personal demeanor and try to inflect the conversation with, with what I'm putting off as opposed to reflecting what they're putting off. Okay, thank you. And uh, this question is very similar to the one that we asked, but it could, it could vary. So what is one lesson you have learned and that you think everyone should learn within the financial realm? I, I think pretty much the second end to my answer there is yeah. just knowing when it's a, a appropriate time to just, you know, smile, grit through your teeth and just keep being uh, polite as opposed to, you know, getting frustrated, getting let down or, or uh, putting back any negativity or negative energy that's being thrust upon you. Uh, just just it, it happens in, in this industry in many different cases and capacities. So uh, just being polite, having the right mindset and, and not letting any negativity affect you. All right. And so this this question is like, say I, I want to get like I'm trying to become financially educated. Where would you recommend that I start? Uh, how soon should I start? Should I have a retirement account? It could be very confusing where you're trying to get uh, financial education In your perspective. Where should someone start? Well, we offer a lot of content on YouTube and on our website. Uh, in general, I think we're in the age and the day of YouTube for for what you're looking for. Obviously, vet the creators that you're looking at and, and make sure you're not following uh, miscellaneous pages uh, for financial education or literacy that that may not be in your best interest. Uh, but now uh, or yesterday, it's always the right time to start your financial literacy journey. Uh, myself, I mean, I started in high school. I was taking accounting courses uh, because I, I wanted to kind of have myself set up for that. It, was something I didn't have growing up. My parents uh, did not go to college and, and didn't really implore me to, to pursue those things. I had my own personal interests in, and goals to pursue them. So ed education, it can start as young as you're ready for it. And if you're having this conversation or you're hearing uh, you and I talk, you should be aware of, of what options you have out there. How much money do you have saved if you have an unfortunate event tomorrow, if you get in an accident or something like that, do you have insurance? Uh, do you have a, a nest egg of money saved up? What about retirement later on? I'm assuming even if you love what you do for a living and, and you don't work a day in your life, people say, you still want to have some sort of nest egg there. And are you prepared? Are you building that? If not, you know, what can you do? And also, what education do you have or what ways of earning money do you have that you can utilize further to your advantage? with these tax shelters, because it's a it's a great thing to do, especially with self-directed retirement investing. You can use what you already know and how to earn money within your retirement account in most cases to earn tax sheltered money and growth and, and build and build and build. Thank you. And to I'm trying to shift this so it's not financial advice, right? We can't give financial and legal advice. So if you're Corey, you're brand new, you just started and you have you have all of the same knowledge that you have now, but you're like, 17 or 18 uh what would you how would you start what would you do uh with all of the knowledge that you do that you know now like would you do anything differently or would you continue down the same path and could you talk about that 
Yeah, and, and thank you for kind of prefacing with, with my disclaimer for me. I, I, I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a fiduciary. If I were 17 and I had the knowledge I have right now at age 31, I would pay taxes on all the money I can to get into retirement accounts. So I would Roth as much as I can at that point and continue to do so throughout my investing career and journey. I would probably jump into real estate as early as I can as well. There's a few low cost real estate strategies that you can get into. If you know a 17 year old doesn't have enough money to take down a whole property or, or you know, not a, a investor that can do a syndication because they're not accredited or, or uh, a sophisticated investor. So start with tax deed and lien investing. Start with, um, you know, wholesaling, maybe start with uh, being a partner or shadowing someone that's doing some of those larger strategies that you're interested in. Learn and go to those educational things where you learn how to drive for dollars and, and, and wholesale uh, so that you can build from a small amount and build up and build up. Uh, even arbitrage is a, a different topic where you're actually leasing a, a property from someone and then you're renting that out on a short-term market. So everything above and beyond what you're paying the property owner for the lease of the property is what you're profiting for renting that property out. It takes the hassle off of that person from listing their property on Airbnb and, and having this and that, uh, and it puts that into your pocket. So arbitrage, um, uh, tax seed and lien investing, any other smaller strategy you can get into for real estate, uh, I really think is a, a good option and a good goal for a young investor. So I have kind of two questions based off what you said. And the first question is like, do you, right, it's not financial advice, do you have a favorite investment vehicle? And when I say investment vehicle, I mean like an industry or some kind of asset class. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, just as a root investment vehicle, I I tend to favor in our industry, the, the checkbook control IRA or single member LLC. Okay. So that's a vehicle where uh, you can set up an LLC within your retirement account and then hold various assets within that vehicle. So it's part of your retirement account. So it is a tax shelter. It's part of the disregarded entity for tax purpose shelter that your retirement account has. Uh, but it allows you to take down any different number of investments, any different number of asset classes within that root vehicle. So I can have my own retirement account, have an LLC, hold a piece of real estate in that LLC, issue a loan to my friend or uh, you know a business partner in that LLC, hold stocks and bonds in that LLC through a brokerage or trading account, even cryptocurrency. So um, it's a unique tool that offers a lot of flexibility and variability, but it also kind of shelters everything together at the same time. Thank you. And based on like some of what you're saying, I want to know, like, what is your like favorite type of retirement account? Like, do you like the Roth? Do you like the 401k? You got like, I think CISA, you got different vehicles. Like what's your favorite? Uh, for me personally, it would be my, my Roth 401k. Uh, so 401ks, you know, you're, you're tying a 401k to an employer. So there's a, a component where your employer is typically contributing in or matching some percentage of that amount you're contributing in, uh, having it be Roth, meaning it's already money you're paying taxes on now so that you can continue for that to grow without paying any more taxes. 
some of those other accounts are great too. A, a CISA account, as you mentioned, not a lot of people know about CISA accounts or even the ability to self-direct them. That's a, a covered out education savings account. It's for anyone, I believe, under age 30 uh, for educational expenses. So it's a good account that you can set up for your children. Uh, you do not have to be the contributor into that account for your child. It can be something that you have grandma or grandpa if they want to help set little Johnny up for retirement or I'm sorry, not retirement uh, for educational expenses, whether it be primary school, getting into a private school or even college and, and post uh, grade school education. Uh, it's an account you can put together, uh, whether it's a managed account or a self-direct account, get a tax shelter on that money and build it and build it so that little Johnny can uh, hopefully afford better schooling. Thank you. And so next question is like, our next batch personal questions. We want to get to know you a little bit. If you could be remembered for one thing, Corey, what would it be? I would probably say um, just my ability to humor and, and just uh, make a room happy, make a, a group of people happy. I, I'm, I tend to favor the side of like comedy as opposed to, to action, adventure, horror, uh, when you're talking about movies and things like that. Uh, so I always like to, with a weird and witty sense of humor, just keep everyone smile and keep everyone happy. What What's your favorite movie? Like, you have one? I know it's hard to pick one, but what are some of your favorites? Yeah, it's it's really hard to to pick one. Just like on a spot right now, you're putting uh -huh. me to that. Anything Judd Apatow is involved in is is up there. So you know, you're talking super bad, um, uh, knocked up. Any any of those Judd Apatow movies? Okay. Usually, if Paul Rudd's an actor in it, it's going to be a good movie as well. Forty Year Old Virgin. Those those are you know some of they, they're instant classics when they come out. So I I I'd probably just say, I mean, I listed three, but that's close. <laughs> what what what's the last one that you watched? The last you you like? I really enjoyed that. The last movie I watched that I really enjoyed. Honestly, I, I haven't been spending too much time on movies with with the baby. Uh, so okay. our evenings are, are putting a baby down and then doing our own. I've got a Peloton right behind me trying to get some. Uh, let me think. It's the last. My wife made me watch. My wife made me watch a movie on Netflix. I okay. didn't think it was particularly good. Uh, what was it called? The Other Way. It was just, it was like a movie about a, a girl and it follows her life, whether she gets pregnant or whether she goes to school and or pursues like her, her other career dream. So okay. I, I watched some of that. That was probably the last one I, I watched, but I, I okay. wouldn't sign off on it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> gotcha. So the, the next question is, if you could go back, uh, I talked about this slightly a little bit, but it's a little bit different. If you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, I would, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I, I put myself through college at, at a young age. So um, I would tell that self, um, you know, consider more so what your personal interests and your goals are and, and spend just as much time on those as you're spending on uh, what you consider your stability line. So making sure, you know, uh, you've got that next stability in front of you and, and ahead, take a little bit more risks from that standpoint. Uh, I've always been pretty risk averse because it's always been about building myself up to the next platform, as I mentioned. 
Uh, so just being a little bit more risky, pursuing a little bit more of uh, personal interests and goals, which I, I still have pursued and I still am very, you know, adamant about, but leaning more towards that way. It's something I'm really trying to push my son for. I mean, granted, he's still a baby, but I, I want him to be afforded the ability to pursue the arts or or things that aren't necessarily financial drivers, but his personal interests and goals. So what, what's your son's name? His name's Milo. Milo. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you told us Milo. Milo's 10 months, right? Yep. He'll be he'll be yeah. 10 months officially next week. So he's like five days shy of 10 months old. So he'll, he'll be 10 months. And you told us like you're you're at night. You're like worrying about putting the baby down. The next question is like the morning. So tell us what your morning routine looks like. How does that work? Does it involve Milo? Is it what does it look like? <laughs> It does. So my, my wife typically gets up earlier than I do, uh, but we, we both kind of are on a time bomb when the boy wakes up. Lately, he's just a uh, knock on wood. He's been sleeping through the night. Oh, I got my dog to bark. That was a stupid idea. <laughs> that was a really bad idea. <laughs> it's all so good. We, it happens. The morning routine right about six o'clock is when he's been waking up. He's been sleeping through the night the past month or so. Um, we get up, we feed him. She usually gets ready for work. I play with him a little bit, engage with him. Then about 7.45 or so, I will take him to daycare, which is about 15 minutes up the road. Uh, if we don't make coffee at the house downstairs, I'll stop at one or one of my coffee spots that are along the way. I try to go between two or three of them, get myself a cup of coffee get back here to my desk. Uh, by then also I've already checked my emails. So I know what I've got on my plate for the day and get started about eight, eight fifteen or so, um, with my work day, um, and kind of let it roll from there. I either take a lunch around noon or so, or just kind of work through depending on how my day's going and then, uh, go pick him up around five o'clock. Awesome. Thank you. And this next session, this I call it the value add and the bonus questions. They are meant to intentionally like stop you and make you actually think. So uh, okay. be ready. First question I have is how can someone add immediate value to you or your business? Have an investment you want to find investors for. <laughs> okay. Look, you, I, you like can, I can network and point you in some direction of things. I can provide some marketing materials that, that may help you. Uh, and that'll bring clients to our our door. So uh, if you're someone that has investments you're looking to offer or you want to jump into an investment with your retirement account, that would add immediate value. More so having those investments because there's going to be multiple clients coming in to join your deals and we provide great customer service. So they'll have word of mouth and tell their friends and their relatives. Thank you, sir. The next question is very similar. How can someone add long term value to you and your business? Keep doing more deals. <laughs> okay. Yeah, makes sense. You you like one of the first people that just nailed that. It usually catches everybody off guard. So that was excellent. Uh, now we're at the closing table because we know real estate. Oh my God, we're at the closing table. Let's close the deal, right? So the first question that I have is, what are three books that you recommend to the audience and why? Yep. So the first book I would say is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, that's the book the the famous 10,000 hour rule came from. There's a lot of other great points and, and things in that book. Malcolm Gladwell's got a number of great books, but that one specifically I would definitely recommend. Uh, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's another, it's kind of self-help aligned. Uh, if you're in any 
career path. It doesn't necessarily have to be something of the arts. It's just a great book for motivational tactics and kind of understanding how to get through your own psyche and, and accomplish some goals that you'd like to or let yourself be set up as best to do so. And then uh, the third one is The Four Agreements. A lot of people are familiar with that book already, but I just think on a, a rudimentary level, it helps people understand just how to be a, a decent, honest, humble human being. Thank you. And one of the other questions that we have is like podcasts, but I don't want it, I don't want three. I want you to talk about the podcast that you have. Could you talk about your podcast a little bit, Ivana's? Yeah, so I'm not the host of it. My colleague Alex Perney is the host of Advantage Podcast. It's called the Alternative Investing Advantage. Uh, so Alex uh, is a great host. He's been with the company about twice as long as I have, uh, and I've been with the company for six years now. Uh, so what he does is he starts the podcast with kind of a market update and a, a talk about some different things in the industry. And then he usually goes along to interview someone for about 30 minutes or so that is either an investor or someone uh, with investing knowledge, some expert in our field of industry for the most part, uh, just as a, a pretty nonchalant conversation. It's not as strict and stringent as our educational content is. Uh, and he, he really can break down some walls with people and, and get behind what they're doing, how they're doing it. And it's really a, a great way for people interested in retirement investing or investing at all to kind of pull behind the curtains a little bit at some of your favorite uh, experts. Corey, thank you. I appreciate you. So I have one question and we, you can make this go whichever way you want. You can make it about Ivana or you can make it about Corey or you can do both. So the last question is where can listeners find out more about you or Advanta online? Yep. So Advanta has got a YouTube channel, Advanta IRA uh, at YouTube, easy to search. Um, I have a LinkedIn page, just Corey Dayharsh, C-O-R-E-Y-D-A-H-A-R-S-H. I'm on Facebook as well as Corey Dayharsh, C-I-S-P or CISP. Um, those are really the social media platforms I use. I, I don't try to use Facebook or Instagram for personal purposes. I just, I'm more so, I, I live here in the mountains. I let my wife handle those social media things and, and I like to enjoy outside and, and spending time with my son. So um, from a business perspective, those are my pages, my channels, get a hold of me if I can help you in any way or you want to connect further. Um, and let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's network. Let's build our net worth through networking. Awesome. Thank you. And I got this from another guest. She always talked about leave us with a close, like people normally, they say leave us with a closing statement. But the guest I was talking, it was uh, her name's DeWine. She's like, hey, Jerome, give us a final closing word. So I propose the same thing to you, Corey. Give us just one word, no explanation, one word to close us out. One word specifically. One word. Yes. Smile. Smile. I like it. All right, Corey, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm going to uh, I'm going to close us out. I need you to stay here for about, you know, at, until after the outro, and then we can close it down officially. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. All right. Yep.